The Old Testament reading for this, the fourth Sunday after Pentecost, comes from the book of Job, the 38th chapter. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge, dress for action like a man? I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. This is the word of the Lord. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. On your wondrous works I will meditate. The epistle reading comes from Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, the sixth chapter. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. This is the word of the Lord. And the Holy Gospel, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes to us according to St. Mark, the fourth chapter. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke. And rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? 
Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even wind and sea obey him? And this is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Just sit right back, and you'll hear a tale. A tale of a fateful trip. A trip involving a boat, and a storm, and some everyday people. But this one doesn't end on a desert island with weekly wacky hijinks. It ends with a miracle, with fear and awe, and with a rebuke concerning the faith of the disciples. Jesus and his disciples have been preaching and teaching, and crowds are gathering wherever they go. After preaching to a large gathering on one side of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus says that they need to go to the other side to reach more people. This is not a problem because many of the disciples are fishermen, so traveling by boat is no big deal. They have their boats ready These men have grown up on the sea. They know the waters. They're used to traveling from one side to the other. It's not like they're crossing the ocean or even the Mediterranean. It's just the Sea of Galilee. And they're at a fairly narrow point of it to boot. So this trip should be no problem. But there's a problem. A big one, in fact. Partway through what should have been an uneventful trip a furious storm springs up. Now, the Sea of Galilee is kind of known for sudden storms because of the terrain and whatnot, but this one is a doozy. The wind is howling, the waves are breaking over the side of the boats. The little fishing vessel that they're in is taking on water, being tossed to and fro by this squall, and it seriously looks like they are not going to make it. That the boat is either going to sink or be shattered, and everyone on board is going to drown. These seasoned fishermen, these salty men of the sea, they're terrified. But Jesus, he's not. He's asleep. He's lying down on the cushion up at the front of the boat, out like a light, seemingly oblivious to the whole thing. And so after trying everything that they can think of, in pure desperation, the disciples go to Jesus and they wake him up. Which was actually the right thing to do. When there are troubles, turning to Jesus, seeking his help, that's a good thing. That's the right way to go about things. What was not a good thing, though, was the accusation they throw his way as they wake him up. Teacher, they say, do you not care that we are perishing? Did you not notice that we're all about to die? How can you just sit there and sleep? Why do you do nothing while we, your faithful disciples, are staring death in the eye? Wake up and do something, Jesus, they say. Disciples assumed that Jesus had no clue what was going on, and that he really didn't even care. They assumed Jesus had abandoned them, had forgotten about them, that he was completely unconcerned about the peril that they were facing. They were clearly in mortal danger, and because Jesus wasn't doing what they thought he should, they assumed that he just didn't give a rip, 
and was just going to let them all die a terrified and soggy death. But that's not what was happening, was it? Jesus is God. And though he was asleep, he knew full well what was happening. And all things were still in his hands. Jesus speaks a word and the storm is over. It doesn't gradually die down. It doesn't lessen a wee bit in intensity. It just goes from a raging squall to calm. Peaceful tranquility on the sea. It's over. The peril is gone. The threat has been eliminated. The imminent death of the disciples has simply vanished. All at the mere word of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus has a word for the disciples as well. He says, why were you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Did you think that I would just let us all die? Didn't you know that all things are under my control? Don't you believe my promises that I am with you always? And as we hear this account today, we totally agree with Jesus, don't we? I mean, come on, disciples. Jesus was in the boat with you. You've already seen him do all sorts of miracles. You know that he is the promised Messiah, God in the flesh. How can you be so foolish, we say? How can you think that Jesus isn't going to help you? How can you have such little faith after everything that you've already been through? Oh, yes, we too chastise the disciples for their lack of faith, for their lack of understanding, for their doubt of Jesus' power and mercy in times of great danger and peril. We chastise them, which is tragically comical, given our own lack of faith in similar situations. Given the fact that we too, under even less dire conditions, cry out to Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? I mean, we today, knowing full well who Jesus is, what he promised, knowing what he has done for us, we too accuse him of not caring about us of abandoning us, of sleeping on the job and being totally unaware of the danger that we, his faithful people, are facing. We, just like the disciples, think that Jesus is not really with us, that he's going to let the world have its way with us, and that he has no clue what's going on in our lives and just how perilous it really is here on earth. As the storms of the world rage around us, the little boats of our lives are taking on water and being threatened by crashing waves of sin and satanic assault. And we assume that Jesus is just sleeping peacefully up in heaven, doing nothing, unaware that we are perishing. Ah, but we might argue that our situation is totally different from that of the disciples. I mean, look at the culture that we live in, right? Sin is glorified, and those who call it sin, they're demonized. More and more pressure is placed upon us every day to give up God's word, to buy into the wicked ways of our culture, to bow down to the rainbow flag or progressive thinking or to the woke mob. We have economic uncertainty, political division and strife, deep-seated distrust throughout our nation. We have racism and sexism, 
and socialism and capitalism and fascism and communism to worry about. We have government rules in many countries demanding that we go against our Christian values and virtues. We have cancel culture and biased journalism and aggressive Marxists and militant LGBTQVM whatever they happen to be this week, corrupt politicians, and we have COVID! Besides all that, the disciples, they had Jesus right there. He spoke with them directly. They saw his miracles with their own eyes. They heard his teachings firsthand. And we say, we don't have that advantage. The disciples, they just had a rainstorm to deal with, and they had Jesus right there with them. We, we have constant, perilous threats, and Jesus is nowhere to be seen. So obviously the disciples were fools to doubt Jesus, but we were totally justified. So says our sinful, egotistical, whiny little heart. Think about it objectively. Was the storm the only problem that the disciples ever faced? I mean, obviously not. People opposed Jesus' teaching just as much then as they do now. The disciples were all threatened and beaten and driven out of towns for sharing the word of Jesus. In fact, all but one of them died horrible deaths as a direct result of the witness that they bore of Jesus Christ. They lived in an occupied country under Roman emperors who called themselves gods and brutally tortured and killed anyone who disagreed. They were followers of a Messiah whose teachings rubbed everyone, and I mean everyone, the wrong way, and drew heat from people, from Pharisees, from Sadducees, from scribes, priests, elders, Sanhedrin, the Romans, the Greeks, the Jews. Nobody liked what Jesus had to say, and people from every walk of life wanted to silence both Jesus and his followers in any way possible. They had to deal with seeing the things that Jesus did and comparing that to the bad teaching that they had been receiving for generations that said the Messiah will come and restore an earthly paradise. So no, we don't have it worse off than the disciples. We actually have it very easy compared to them as we enjoy religious freedoms and protections and tolerant governments that they could only ever dream of. And as for the argument that they saw Jesus' miracles, heard his teachings firsthand, but we haven't, I mean, that's complete foolishness as well. Every single sunrise, every single day that you wake up, that's a miracle granted to you by God. Every time you come to his house to hear his teaching firsthand from his holy word, that's a blessing that many of the disciples were not allowed. You hear Jesus himself speak through Scripture, the entirety of Scripture, through the forgiveness of your sins in the absolution, through his blessings in the liturgy. Every single baptism that we are blessed to witness, every time that we come to the Lord's table, we witness a miracle. Here, in the sacrament of the altar, 
Jesus Christ comes to poor, wretched sinners like us. Not in an imaginary way, but in giving us his true, very real, incarnate flesh and blood in, with, and under the bread and wine for us Christians to eat and drink. Every time that you read the Bible, you hear the word of God firsthand. In fact, unlike the disciples at the time that they were in the boat, you've been shown the full picture. You've been given the complete account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. All of the miracles that attest to his divinity. All of the things that he did. All of the promise that he spoke directly to you. You know how it all ends. And you know that Jesus is undoubtedly God in the flesh, Come to you for the gift of your salvation. So to assume that we have it worse off than the disciples, that they had some grand theological advantage over us, that they were foolish to despair, but we have every right to do so, that is complete nonsense. When we think that Jesus has forgotten about us, that he doesn't care that we are perishing, we too deserve the rebuke of Jesus. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? We have seen Jesus' miracles firsthand. We have a lifetime of evidence showing us that Jesus is with us, bringing us through all circumstances. We have his eternal promise that he will never leave us or forsake us. And so when the storms of life threaten to overwhelm us, we should never ever accuse Jesus of not caring. We should never doubt that all things are in his hands. Now, this doesn't mean that nothing bad's going to happen to us if our faith is strong enough. We are sinners, and we live in a sinful and broken and very dangerous world. We will face heartache and trial and tribulation. We will be hurt emotionally and physically and spiritually. We will suffer hardship and sorrow and grief. The world is going to blindside us with disaster and tragedy. And in the end, one way or another, unless Jesus Christ returns in glory first, we all will die. But none of that, none of it at all, means that Jesus has left us, that he is sleeping Or that he doesn't care about us. Because in the long run, no earthly storm, no worldly trial, not even death itself matters. Because Jesus Christ has given us the eternal victory that we did not deserve. Do you think that after all that Jesus has done for you, after all that he's given up for you, do you think that he could possibly just forget about you? He has left the paradise of heaven and taken on human flesh to come to you as the Messiah. He has endured the unbelief, the doubt, the scorn, and the ridicule of his sinful creation. He has taken all of your filthy, foolish, rebellious sin away from you and has laid it upon himself. He has suffered and died upon the cross beneath the load of that guilt paying in full the penalty that you have racked up, sacrificing his innocent life to atone for all your wrongdoing. He has risen from the grave to break the chains of death that bound you, 
to set you free from eternal hell. He ascended into heaven not to leave you on your own, but to always be with you, wherever you might be, whatever might be happening in your life. And he has promised that when you lie down in the sleep of death, he himself will come to you to carry you in his loving arms to his eternal kingdom, that perfect, sinless, eternal paradise that he has won for you. That he himself has specifically prepared for you. And there you will face no more storms, no more doubts, no more pain or suffering or turmoil or heartache, no more sin or death. Only the unending joy of being in the presence of the one true and triune God. Worshiping him with all your brothers and sisters in Christ throughout history. Singing his praise and rejoicing in his glory forever and ever. That's what Jesus Christ has given to you. And by faith, through grace, that gift is guaranteed to be yours. It was hard fought and won and he will never, ever forget you. Jesus Do you not care that we are perishing? It was a silly, faithless question that the disciples asked in the face of a storm, and it is even more so when we ourselves ask it today. Is the world dangerous and wicked? Are we going to suffer? Are there going to be challenges and outright attacks of our Christian faith? Absolutely yes. But that doesn't mean that Jesus is asleep or that he doesn't care. He does care. He cares enough to grant you freedoms and protections that the disciples never knew. He cares enough to show you his miracles and his teachings daily. He cares enough that he is with you in a very real way at all times, even when you are scared and suffering. The world's storms, they are going to terrify us. They may lead us to wonder if Jesus really cares, but his word, his actions, his holy presence in our lives, those things assure us that he truly does care and that all things are in his hands. And even if the storms of life do overtake us, even if we suffer and die for our Christian faith, we still have lost nothing at all because Jesus Christ in his mercy and grace and love for you, has given you the eternal victory, has given you absolute assurance that he has redeemed you and has set you free from sin, death, and the devil. No matter how bad things might seem, you need never doubt the care and concern that your Lord and Savior has for you. For by the cross of Jesus Christ alone, by his empty tomb alone, You are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.